Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name is Ray here and thank you very much for joining me for this episode. This week, a bit of an update on the Tenere 700. We've got a Kiwi Rider story about a sexy Triumph. It's a new one and I really want to ride it. And I've been trying out a new piece of kit and I'll share the details with you on that straight after the news. And the figures are in for the first quarter of 2021 as far as New Zealand motorcycle sales go. We're already through the first quarter of 2021 and the motorcycle industry appears to still be charging along for a record-breaking 2020 in terms of new motorcycle registrations. In total, new bike registrations for the first three months of 2021 exceeded 2020 figures with 2,217 motorcycles hitting the road. 584 new mopeds, that's 378 new motorcycles and 53 more mopeds than last year. While these numbers are both up on 2020, it's not hard to be wary of celebrating too hard considering March and April 2020 were pretty hard times for dealers in the wake of the first nationwide COVID-19 lockdown. Leading the way in terms of sheer volume though is Suzuki with 85 examples of the GSX250R and 79DR650 SEs hitting the road so far this year. KTM's 390 Duke rounds up the top three with 48 new registrations. However, the figures are strong despite some dealers awaiting stock from overseas due to supply chain struggles as a result of both the pandemic and the Suez Canal debacle last month. Can you imagine how many motorcycles are sitting in containers still on that ship? Uh, Incidentally, that ship is still sitting in the lake awaiting some sort of resolution between the two parties. But anyway, back to motorcycles with many new and exciting models for 2021, only just starting to trickle into the country this month. This year could prove to be a bigger boom for the industry than the remainder of 2020. For more on this story, head to onthrottle.co.nz or pick up your copy of the latest Kiwi Rider magazine. Now, I do have to apologise, I've been keeping something a secret, and well, you're going to have to forgive me, uh, I've been keeping it a secret for about six months. You see, I found a way to halve my motorcycle maintenance, and you can't even tell. Go on, have a look at all the videos and photos that have gone up about my T7 over the last six months, and you tell me if you can see my new bit of kit. Hidden deep down inside the frame of my bike, I have a Scott oiler. Now you may be familiar with the old school Scott Scott oilers, they're pretty good, they're effective, but not exactly what I would call super easy to install. The Scott oiler I've got is the X-System 2.0. Now I haven't been able to talk about it up till now because, well, it's a pre-production unit, but the Scott oiler X-System 2.0 is now available in New Zealand and it's time to let the cat out of the bag. If you haven't played with a Scott oiler before, you could be forgiven for not knowing exactly what they do. A Scott oiler is an automatic chain oiling delivery system. It automatically oils your chain, it automatically cleans your chain. And it takes the hassle out of chain maintenance. No longer do you have to lay on your garage floor with an old toothbrush. 
You don't have to oil your chain, you don't have to clean your chain, it does it all for you. As long as you're using a Scott Oiler and the Scott Oiler branded oil, there is a steady and controllable stream of lube applied to your chain and centrifugal force does the rest. So what's so special about the X-System 2.0? Well, older Scott Oilers needed to be plumbed into a vacuum line on your bike. Not hard, not impossible, but a little more fiddly and less pretty, shall we say. The new system, the X-System 2.0, is powered directly off the battery. It has a positive and a negative line going to the battery, and it has sensors built into it that measure vibration and movement, meaning it knows when to power up and apply the oil, and when to power down. It also has 15 different flow rate settings, so it's pretty good to be used on any terrain you can find. Now, the brains of the operation doubles as the reservoir, and it has a few buttons on it. It's got an up button, a down button, and a power button. There's three different levels of flow rate. Each level has five steps. So from zero, you'll have the bottom light one flash, all the way up to the top light one flash. The second level will be two flashes, bottom light to top light. And the third level is three flashes. All this is made pretty clear to you in the collateral that comes with the kit when you buy it. So, from the bottom of the reservoir, which is tucked in under the seat on my bike, I have a line going down the inside of the frame to the swing arm pivot, and then down the swing arm to a dropper located under the swing arm delivering oil directly to the rear sprocket. Now, I'm told this could potentially even double the life of my chain and sprockets which I think is amazing. I don't have to get down on the ground and clean the chain and sprockets. I don't have to oil it, and it's going to lengthen the life of the chain and sprockets. How brilliant is that? Is it durable, though? That's the question a lot of people have, have come, come to me with lately. Well, I've ridden the Molesworth, the Rainbow, the 40-second Traverse, the Triumph Tiger Adventure Ride in Raglan, and I've done a whole bunch of stuff in the Akataroas and the Mangakotukutuku Valley here in Wellington. And I have never had a single issue. Not one problem whatsoever. I fill the reservoir up roughly once a month, probably a bit longer, um, and it's hidden away. There's no danger of damage. I haven't had a problem. No problems whatsoever. Benefits to me, you don't have to do the cleaning. You don't have to remember to do the oiling. Uh, I think this would be a really, really good thing for tourists, people who mile much, they, they do do those big kilometres. Uh, adventure riders, clearly this is fine for them. And commuters, because we all know commuters' bikes, they, they do get a little bit, uh, you know, the great unwashed, the great unloved from time to time. So if you're clocking up big Ks, even if you're not, you just can't be bothered with maintenance. This is just taking drama away from you. So check out the Scott Euler X-System 2.0. Uh, recommended retail price is $449. It's available from most motorcycle shops across the country. And if you factor in the cost of a new chain and sprockets and then kind of go, okay, I can, I can almost double the lifespan of the chain and sprockets, that price is actually pretty reasonable, $449. In the kit, you get a 600ml bottle of oil. I've used about 150ml so far in six months. So it's not using a lot of oil. I really, really like it. Ask for it by name, Scott Euler X-System 2.0, or check out eurobike.co.nz.
Now, sticking with the Triumph theme that we've had running for the last few weeks, we're going to bring you now from August 2020 Kiwi Rider magazine, Peter Elliott's thoughts on the Street Triple RS. With the same engineering team making the Moto2 engines and the 765 Street Triple, that three-cylinder howl has never sounded better. As a Triumph aficionado since way back, I'm nailing my colours to the mast. In my 30s, I owned a Triumph TR4A IRS convertible in navy with a tiny Union Jack on both doors. There's something of the UK heritage. Royals, pork pies, weed, whites and wine and leggy supermodels that appears to my ancient sensibilities. Some may consider my taste near Jurassic. So be it. I don't care. I own a Thruxton R. Love the style of the bonnies and lusted after the bobber. But the damn 2020 Triumph 765 Street Triple RS was about to rain on my long British summer of twin worship. First impressions of the 2020 Street Triple RS? It looks small. It looks like one of those Orient manufacturers' attempts to make a 250 look like it has its big boy or girl pants on. But actually, what the 765 is, is miraculous. Look at every side and angle. The design work and aesthetics are completed by exceptional technology. The top of the line RS is very stylish indeed. Some of the refinements are barely noticeable. But it's in the details that this new iteration of Triumph's Naked Street Fighter excels. Firstly, let's talk weight loss. The engine has shed a little weight, gained better breathing flow, and it has increased its torque by 9% to 79 newton meters, which does make itself known in the mid-range, with bullet-like linear projection on the road. Inside the new 765, they've tightened things up and delivered a fiery workhorse that revs quicker, revs faster, and, although it is not the actual GP2 engine, it is designed and built by the same team. For the tech heads, the engineers have reduced inertia in the gearbox and clutch by modifying the anti-backlash gears, giving reduced mass and allowing the engine to spin up quicker, which is definitely noticeable. A modified exhaust cam system and intakes deliver freer airflow. It all sounds good, but in reality, all that detail disappears in a haze of pleasure and thrill on the road. I particularly like the upright riding position which dishes out less punishment to my battle-scarred neck and shoulders. Nearly all sports bikes give me headaches and neck cramps, but after 400 kilometres aboard this, in both rain and shine, I wanted more, and I felt alert and untroubled at the end of each day riding. This alone was enough to give me ideas, a serious shake-up, but bigger revelations awaited. On board. Getting on board felt really good. A smaller Aprilia Tuono, a bike I thought fitted me to perfection, until now. My legs were bent and snug, but not tight enough to induce cramp, and my knees tucked under the smooth tank flanges, promising great feel and cornering. The new colour TFT dashboard and controls are clear, intuitive and easy. 
but by the first corner, it felt like the 765 was one step ahead of me. Things only improved from there. My test bike was black, and for a naked, it was very attractive to the eye. The new carbon bits are snugger around the radiator, and the exhaust terminates in a new small carbon tip silencer. Low on the right side, it looks tight, polished, and aggressive. Top marks. The exhaust note is pleasing, albeit without the hoarse hack of a barking Ducati, but the bellow and shriek of its song at higher revs is deeply satisfying. Since 2007, Triumph has sold around 90,000 street triples, and it's not hard to see why. And I'm predicting this high-spec RS will prove just as popular in the naked midweight class. There is little out there to currently touch it for road and track days. Sport riding at blistering pace, acceleration and stopping power, ease of riding and terrific personality and willingness. Adding to the story of excellence in engineering design and delivery is the quick shifter, both up and down with auto blipper. From slow around town, pottering in first and second, to flat out screaming track runs, this never missed a gear. Most shifters are good at high revs, but some can be notchy as hell, particularly at low speed, not the RS. That shifter is a delight, a solid, precise and accurate piece of kit that is a pleasure in itself to engage, and blisteringly quick. Further to go fast, of course, is Stopwell, and the current Brembo M50 this is wearing are among the best brakes money can buy and they offer further adjustment for hard track days or everyday use. The weather on my test days varied between sun and rain, but the confidence these brakes gave me made the weather irrelevant, and I don't say that lightly with Diablo's supercourses fitted both front and rear. I was able to trail brake in tight twisty stuff and haul up stiffly in running hard mode with beautiful transitions feeling like magic in the hands. I love the confidence great brakes offer, and with the astonishing lightness and feel of the RS, I enjoy trail braking freedom on the road. Let's talk about the chassis. Fork dive is virtually non-existent, and the Showa front end tracks and rolls into corners arguably better than the R9T, my prior cornering favourite. At the rear, fully adjustable Olins take care of the tracking. I found the ride pretty firm on the gnarly B roads, and some work with preload and damping may ensure more comfort. But I found that great stiff swing arm unit to be rock solid, no matter how grim the potholing and lumpiness. On poor roads, a little vibration occasionally traveled up the bars, shifting forward to increase my arm angle and bend elbows eased the issue. On warm days, the supercourses heat up quickly and behave like glue stick, and the ABS offerings in various rider configurable modes, railing corners is never less than exceptional. The bike wheelies willingly with rider mode switched off, while transitions to rain, road and sport are clear and easy to accomplish on the road, at the dash and left hand. The new TFT dash offers everything from lap timing to SMS messages from your connected mobile, but I didn't want to detract from the ride experience and left music out of it. With four display options and contrasting colour highlight sections, the display can be made to suit anyone and it has to be the easiest menu to navigate so far. Cornering is quite simply extraordinary 
In my experience, I found I was able to use lean angles that would have previously caused teeth-chattering concern with ease and calm, and during my test days in every corner, I seemed to have more time and several choices of location, position and exit. There is no substitute for personal experience to tell whether a motorcycle is good or just good for you, or world-beating. Among a myriad of bikes I've ridden, two naked street motorcycles that can directly compare, with road behaviour, depth of power and braking, plus cornering ability, and a huge vista of untapped excellence awaiting my own skills to improve and reach towards. These both have larger CC ratings, however, by at least a third again, the Aprilia Tuono 1100 and the Triumph 1050 Speed Triple, it'll be interesting to compare the 1050 with its astoundingly capable smaller sister. I suspect that there's nothing in it except the ego of the engine capacity. Comfort-wise, the seat is good, although I'd defy anyone to ride as pillion for more than a couple of kilometres. Finishes at the highest level of Triumph skill and is exemplary. World beating? Yep, I think that's fair. So, the big question, would you buy the 765 or the 1050? Value for money and bang for buck, the 765 is no question. Weight, manoeuvrability, nimbleness, economy, all the 765 again. Power performance, tractability, 50-50. Call factor, probably the 1050. But with a fly screen edition, I think the RS would smooth some of the naked airflow a little. I'd look at a tail tidy option and a couple of bobbins, then the call factor might slide towards the 765 once more. Would I take this to the track? Hell yes. And probably before the 1050, just because of the exciting nimbleness fun factor and less intimidation from the 1050's brute of an engine. All in all, if I was in the market for a street bike, this would be my pick. It's a freaking bullet, handles superbly, and it's built and finished brilliantly. And it's light enough to really throw around. Plus, it's more fun to ride than a superbike. Less intimidating, and probably no less quick on your favourite twisty section of road. I reckon they'll be racing them soon. On a track, of course. Those thoughts by Peter Elliott for more photos, specs and a whole lot more, check out the August 2020 edition of Kiwi Rider magazine, there is a link in the description below. Regular listeners of the podcast will know that I own a Yamaha Tenere 700 as my standard everyday bike, and it's a really great bike, like it really is a brilliant bike. I use it for commuting, I use it for weekend riding, I use it for adventure, gravel, hard stuff, or just popping down to the shops to get some milk. And during the TTAR, we hit a milestone. Actually, we hit a few milestones, if I'm honest. We swapped out the first set of tyres since it left the factory, and it clicked over 10,000 kilometres. So happy birthday, Tenere 700. It's kind of a big deal, that second one, 10,000 kilometres. So it's coming up due for an oil and filter change, and I'm yet to decide what oil to use. And if you've got an opinion on that, I'd love to hear from you. Everyone's got an opinion as far as oil goes. But let's have a chat about the tyres. Now, I went for a set of Midas EO7 Pluses, and wow, what a difference. So the OEM tyres on the Tenere 700 are Pirelli, Scorpion, something or others, and on it, they felt like a road tyre. They felt smooth, they felt quiet, they did okay in the gravel. Completely off-road, they started to show their weak side. The Midas EO7 Plus tyres, 
are completely different, a completely different kettle of fish. They're like a tractor tire. They've got these huge knobs and these huge wells and they've got incredibly sharp edges. And so when you get off-road, man, they grip up like crazy. Now with the old tyres, I'd be coming out of a corner, winding on the power and easily lighting up the rear wheel in the dirt. On the tarmac, I could easily lift the front wheel. That's the old tyres. The new tyres, it's completely the opposite. On the gravel, if I try and light up the rear wheel, just pile on the power, it grips and it accelerates out of those corners. On the tarmac though, if I pile on the power, it's easy to light up that rear wheel. So the Midas EO7 Pluses are a brilliant off-road. They just require a little more finesse on the blacktop, especially in the wet. I put them on a week before we went on that big road trip up to Raglan and did my standard commute. Now riding over painted white lines and cat size, you can really feel the extra slip. And out on the state highways, going into tight corners, I was hypersensitive and hyper aware of how much grip I did or didn't have. I was being very, very cautious. And if the corner was wet and shady, well, the hairs on the back of my neck, you really started to stand up. A couple of times on reasonably open corners, I hit a little bit of flushing, and the bike did this wee shimmy shake to the side, a wee sidestep. And of course that uh, kind of ruined my enthusiasm and ruined my, my confidence for the next 20 or so minutes. The Midas EO7s have an incredibly tough carcass. Like seriously, putting them on was an ordeal. The sidewalls on these things, to say the sidewalls are tough is an understatement. And riding the bike, you really feel the surface of the road so much more. Running over cat's eyes will realign your spine. Now it's not a bad thing. You want to know what's going on on the road under you. You want to know that you're not going to get a pinch flat. You want to know that your knobs are digging in and giving you as much grip as possible on the gravel or on the dirt. And they do. But I just wasn't quite prepared for how brutal these tyres would feel on the road. Brutal. Agricultural could be a good way to describe it. I feel like we've put tractor tyres on a WRX. Get them on the dirt though and they stick. They really do dig in and inspire confidence. Now Midas call these tyres a 60-40, that is to say 60% on-road, 40% off-road, but I could easily call them a 50-50, if not a slightly more dirt road bias. The profile of these tyres is another thing, it's quite different to anything I've ridden before, where the tyre is making the bike want to stand up out of corners. So I got them on and we did 1500 kilometres and they're wearing in nicely and at this point I'm not sure if I'll see the same 10,000 Ks I got out of the OEM tyres, but they might surprise me. I'm quite happy with them, I'm not complaining in the slightest. Also going back a month or two ago I picked up a set of Krieger luggage, I got two of the OS12 panniers and the carrier system that goes with it. I got the chance to really put the luggage to the test on the TTAR trip with a couple of changes of clothes in the bags, a bit of wet weather gear, tools, spare inner tubes and all that kind of malarkey. It was a fair bit of weight strapped to the back of the bike and the Krieger luggage did well, no shifting under load, no shifting under mi in mid corner, though I do have one gripe with it. It looks great, it really does look good, it's nice low profile, but I'm not all that impressed with the rubbing on the fairings. I wasn't all that clued up with the trick of putting clear tape on the fairings under where the bags and straps are going to go, and after a few hundred kilometres the dust and grit just started grinding away at the fairings, 
the bags have started to wear away at the paint on the rear fairing. I have since put some clear tape on the fairings underneath, but I'm not stoked about the fact that uh, it's already damaged the paint. Um, so maybe a set of GV pannier racks would be a better idea. We've now completed 10,000 Ks and I'm on the hunt for some oil and a filter. I'm yet to do any research on what oil I really need, but I'm pretty sure the filter will be an easy choice. So that's about all I have to update you on on the T7. Overall, great bike. Krieger, love the luggage. The backpack's really handy as well. I probably could have gone for a slightly bigger size. And I'll be making a video on the oil change in the next few weeks. And that pretty much rounds off the show. Thanks very much for sticking with us through this episode. If you'd like to get hold of us, I'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. You can contact us there or email me, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. Till next time, I've been Ray. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. Mm -hmm.